0: Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and I have episode 209 of the podcast that was originally recorded on July 12th of 2018. This week we have another interview going on. I have Chandler Copenhaver. He is from CrowdOx, and we discuss what CrowdOx is, what they can offer your Kickstarter or your other online crowdfunding project. We also talk about a lot about games as well, so we talk about some of the things he's playing and some of his favorite games. So check out the episode, and hopefully you enjoy the conversation. Enjoy. gamers. Welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and we are back with another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. We have another interview for you this evening. We have Chandler Copenhaver. He is from CrowdOx, and we will be talking to him tonight. Chandler,
1: how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you,
0: Joe? I'm good. This is take two because I had a little faux pas here at the beginning, so we won't discuss that, but everything is good now. Um We were talking about CrowdOx. Give us a little bit of information about what CrowdOx is and what they do.
1: So CrowdOx is a platform that allows creators uh, of Kickstarter campaigns to provide their backers um, an experience after the campaign. It allows them to confirm their orders. And um, so a campaign that has now 2,000 backers – you know that's a lot of information from a lot of uh, different individuals that needs to be properly uh, taken care of and so crowdox is designed to help serve the creator to help them uh, really efficiently serve their their backers
0: so now you guys deal with more than just kickstarters i believe you guys deal with kickstarters indiegogo i think you um when we were just talking and not recording you had mentioned you also do fig so how how is it when you have to basically you know, work with all three different platforms, how easy is it for you guys to actually integrate with all of them?
1: Yeah. So we have a great relationship with uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. Um, those are definitely the majority share of the projects right, that we work right. with. Um, Fig as well. We, we work with many creators from all three platforms. Um, and uh, it allows us to very easily integrate. So the, these platforms have allowed us to uh, connect with them directly so that we can actually pull, uh, the information directly from the system actually through the, the API for those that are kind of know how that works. Um, and that allows us to not have a clunky process, um, in terms of gathering that information. If, if, if you've run a campaign, you're familiar that there is a import export process of, of grabbing backer, uh, backer lists. And, uh, it's not necessarily the easiest, smoothest transition. Um, There's a lot of kind of frustration that some people have with that. And and, uh, so we kind of eliminate a lot of that with that direct API.
0: Yeah, when I was explaining it to my wife, kind of what you guys do, I kind of told her, I go, they kind of like offer a storefront for Kickstarter projects when they end. Basically, is kind of what it is at a very high level. And she looked at me, she goes, okay, got it. (laughs) I go, go, you probably don't need to know much more than that. I go, that's probably about the easiest way I can describe it to you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that. There's kind of a... Uh, there's kind of a big question or stigma, I guess, around survey and pledge management because so Kickstarter has been, uh, and I'm going to talk mostly about Kickstarter because, like I said, the, probably 90, more than 90% of the uh, the projects that we're talking about, t- tabletop and, and gaming projects, right. are, on, are on Kickstarter. Um, and the Kickstarter community, the world that has been created from that, uh, actually f- uses the word survey. Um, I think that comes originally from the the origins of, uh, of Kickstarter where you had a really small indie project, indie idea that, uh, that you, you complete, you get all these orders for, and then you, you survey them, you ask them some questions. Yeah. Um, and it's really sort of a limited way of looking at what really needs to be done, which is we've got to confirm these orders. In, in many cases, you have orders, uh, of varying complexity, um, that need to, uh, be confirmed. And so that's really the first thing that, uh, that we do with CrowdOx is we're confirming the order that just happened, the pre-order that just happened through, right. through Kickstarter. And once that's been verified, for example, you know, what size is, are, are you getting? What color is, would you like? Um, you know, especially for games, there's rule books that need to be determined. Are you getting the German or the English rule book? Um, once those things are figured out, uh, They need to be – there's an opportunity, I guess I should say. There's an opportunity to uh, allow backers to adjust and increase their pledge um, to make adjustments there.
0: Right, yeah, because I know on Kickstarter, you know, they – not every Kickstarter, but a lot of them do offer that $1 pledge where people can, you know, kind of jump in and then see what happens throughout, you know, the whole whole process of the Kickstarter. And then, you know, some people may not have the funds at the end of the – of the pledge period and they can possibly always, you know, possibly jump in later and up their pledge, you know, to a point to where they can actually get the full rewards and still kind of be
1: considered part of, you know, that Kickstarter project. So. Yeah. It's, it's definitely helpful to those individuals, people that support it kind of a low and then they decide they want to go high. And so sometimes, yeah, exactly. So in, in, uh, Right in the, that's kind of found right in the survey. As again, we call it a survey. I consider it less of a survey. The word I don't love, the word choice, just because survey to you and me when we go to a restaurant is optional. Right. <laughs> right? They, they want to know your experience. Um, and uh, you're like, no, I'm not going to give you that. In this case, it's required, right? Yeah, if this is definitely. a required step for all these creators. They need to know this data, this information. Um, also, grabbing shipping information is, is actually one of the main reasons why these go out um, because Kickstarter does not grab that as a part of their process. Um, and so anyway, the, that in that first step of the survey, the order confirmation survey we send, uh, it actually allows them to either keep the pledge they have or they can scroll right down and see that they have options. They can go and increase their pledge to a higher level. Right. And so that's super key for those one dollar backers, but it's also really useful for somebody that maybe they went in for the base the base game, uh, and then you know, but they did that on day two of the Kickstarter campaign. Now they've watched this campaign for thirty days plus and realize how legit and how awesome it is. They've seen all the updates. They you know, I I'm I'm always a a big fan of the campaigns that do their updates really well because I feel that updates are in a sense a retention tool they allow you to retain those people they continue to see um, you know not only stretch goals and those kinds of things it's a whole nother discussion but the, they get to see as well um the, the level of depth that this game has the the level of passion this creator has and uh and so somebody that might have pledged in the early days, which again, as we know with Kickstarter, there is sort of often a trend of of the horseshoe shape, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of backers will be backing early. And they might be backing at a lower pledge level. And so giving a backer an opportunity to now that they're convinced, maybe they didn't think to go in and increase their pledge to that advanced uh, pledge level that has all of these awesome goodies. Now that they're really like more of a fan instead of just a tenant to you know a, a, a unsure backer um they can upgrade to that higher level right right
0: and it you know i know i've done that a couple of times myself there's a couple of times you know you look at a kickstarter and you're like all right let's let's get this you know and see what it's like and then you know as you like you said as the as the campaign progresses and you see what is being designed and developed into it and what they're adding onto it. You're like, uh, you know, I'm going to throw a couple more bucks into this. Cause I think I did this. I think I did the one thing with like the seventh continent, you know, at first I was like, all right, let's do base. And then partway through it was like, you know, that second printing, it's like, all right, this is not going to hit retail. We're going all in. This is my birthday present. I know my wife's going to kill me when I do this. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So you've been at CrowdOx about a year and a half. Um, from Googling around and looking around a couple of different things. Um, How did you start working with them?
1: So CrowdOx, uh, CrowdOx has been around for about three years, actually okay. probably coming up on three and a half, four. Um, I should probably know the birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's been around for a good while, in fact. and uh, But the kind of the origin of, of CrowdOx is that it started out as a, uh, you know, built out of the garage option, right? It's mm-hmm. different than some of the other competitors that, you know, started out with a lot of funding and, and kind of investment. Um, CrowdOx instead started, um, just like most creators do starting out, you know, slowly growing and, right. and developing the product. And so, uh, our two founders, Nate and Aaron, both are developers and they began building this, uh, actually for their own board game, um, oh, wow. back then. Yeah. So That's interesting. Yeah. So they had their own, uh, uh, Aaron's brother had a campaign and and it did well. Um, it got funded, uh, and they wanted to, you know, wanted to see what was out there. There wasn't a lot of options back then. And even the options that were there weren't exactly what they're looking for. So they decided to do it themselves and realized how difficult it was. It's not <laughs> easy to, uh, to do this, to make these. And, um, and so they created it, uh, and started to work on that as a side project and, uh, and eventually became more and more of a, a full-time thing. And, and, uh, about the time when I jumped on board was when CrowdOx was now, uh, more so established. Um, right. it was still a small core team of, you know, just, just Nate and Aaron and maybe one or two other guys. Um, and, uh, so I, I jumped on board to try to help CrowdOx really become to the, to the forefront. Um, that was my, that's my role. That's, that was uh, why I jumped on board was to, to really help grow, um, this, this awesome service because as a backer and I'm a huge backer, um, I've, uh, I love Kickstarter. I've been backing since 2012. Um, oh, nice. I, wow. I started out with the, uh, with the, um, the Pebble smartwatch. Yeah. And that was my, uh, that was the first one that got me into it. Um, this was before I was married. So, you know, I had, uh, you know i didn't have to get a double layer of permission back then and i uh you know so i i my buddy showed me this cool product and i thought it was awesome and uh but it did take a while so you know this is kind of important it was important for me to learn the process of a backer because now i work with so many people i, I don't want to lose the roots of of being the backer and uh you know and i don't think i ever will cuz I'm always spending my money into, into campaigns like that. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I just was thrilled by the the excitement of the, of the, the opportunity to be a part of something. Um, and you know, there's an emotional investment that happens as a backer. Um, I'm not just a am uh, not just buying it. Right. I literally feel like I, you know, contributed at some degree to the creation of this item. And, uh, so that emotional investment is what really makes Proud, funny, exciting. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to say definitely. It's it, it. You know, a lot of the a lot of the projects, especially when they're when they're larger. You know, they almost build a small community. I mean, if you look through some of the the comment sections on some of these, there are just thousands and thousands of posts from people. You know, and. And the, and the creators of the Kickstarter can't be online 24 seven. And there's people who step up and say, you know, like, this is what they've said. They answer some questions for the people and everything like that, you know, and everything. And I, and I know the content, you know, the creators like it because it takes a little bit off of them. Cause I know some people who have run Kickstarters (laughs) and they've said, it's very, very time consuming. It's very, you know, you really have to just invest a lot of time into it if you want to be successful.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah it's it's absolutely true. The community is huge, and and uh, so that that's kind of what got me into it. I, I backed that campaign, and then I was sort of hooked and, and continued following and backing projects. Um, and uh, uh, part of my um, studies, I had focused on entrepreneurship and on. Uh, that was a big component. So I had already been working with and consulting with small businesses um, and uh, but had such a fascination with this uh, with this I guess category. It's not really an industry we we think of it as an industry. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I definitely would consider it an industry because
0: I mean just think about how many how many products out there nowadays I mean, we don't even need to talk board games here. You could talk just about anything that possibly may not have come to fruition or market, right had it not been for some sort of crowdfunding. You know, community or place like Kickstarter, IndieGoGo, or one of these places.
1: Oh, you're exactly right. Yeah i I guess I just don't know what quantifies a uh, uh, an industry if there's it's a certain fruit. number, yeah, guess, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure but, somebody somebody has some sort of number out there that would say yeah, I, some some I, I professor kind of agree with somewhere. somewhere. It's, it's big enough to where, to me, it it definitely seems like one.
1: I would say. oh, absolutely. Yeah, and especially when you're you're within it. I think uh, there's such a huge percentage of the world that still has no idea. Um, you know, they're just on the consumer end. I feel like there's a consumer level, you go one step higher and there's a backer, right? A backer is different than a consumer right. and, um, and especially being a, an early adopter and all that. But anyway, uh, so I got involved there and then, uh, later on I had the opportunity to work, uh, with a company, um, that did, uh, marketing and did promotion and I worked with them for a couple of years, um, helping their team and, and their company grow, um, And, uh, you know, the part of me, I love, I absolutely love working with, uh, campaigns and campaign creators, um, and helping them succeed. And the biggest challenge that I had in, in that, uh, working with uh, those other companies is that I couldn't, uh there there was situations where campaigns would not succeed and that's frustrating for anyone. And, uh, it is frustrating to work with, uh, individuals that are stuck in those types of situations and, and there's not a lot you can do. So it was really exciting to find uh CrowdOx and begin working with them to find that there was essentially I'm working with campaigns that are successful, but now we're coming to what I consider to be the most difficult challenge. Um, you know, it, it's, it's fine, uh, Coming up with an idea—it's difficult to come up with an idea. It's even more difficult to actually execute on an idea. I think that's that separates uh, creators from from other people. It's it's not an easy thing to do um, to take an idea and then actually go out and, and take the steps and put the investment of time and money to uh, to you know build a prototype and kind of get to those that that level. Um, but what actually defines the and, and uh, differentiates these creators. Is their what they do after their Kickstarter, um, both in the fulfillment process and kind of manufacturing, doing all of those things, but also what kind of a business do they build? And uh you know what, what are they gonna create something that will sustain and be able to uh continue to produce, whether that's you know, you know, on a retail level or if they're gonna be able to produce more um campaigns or more products. And, uh, and so that to me was an incredibly interesting s- sector. And I, that's where I wanted to begin to really make a big focus was, um, you know, the, this after the fact, and it, and really it's what I would consider the unsexy part of crowdfunding.
0: <laughs>
1: that's a good way of putting that. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, Kickstarter is fun because you get to watch that number go up and, right. and there's a lot of energy and, and interaction and movement and. You know, the project's trending now, it's not trending. What do I do to make a trend again? And so, there's this whole like uh, anxiety causing, but also kind of uh, you know, in a lot of endorphin, a lot of excitement with, with Kickstarter. But when that's all said and done, really what I would consider the harder part of crowdfunding now starts, which is now you have to go and begin that manufacturing. You have to right. now go and, you know, then do the fulfillment. And those are steps that are pretty daunting and a lot of creators struggle. In fact, that's where most campaigns fail is, uh, you know, is in those stages. And well, so I, that's, I, something,
0: yeah. I know I've talked to several different designers who've used Kickstarter before who, who've produced, you know, games and content and, you know, sometimes they run into hurdles and, you know, shipping late, you know, at least they've shipped late the ones that I've talked to. You know, and I say, you know, I say better late than never. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people who, who, you know, complain about that sort of thing. But sometimes I think they just aren't ready for what, what basically the Kickstarter turned into, you know, and basically how popular it did Mm -hmm. become. And then, you know, there, there's possibly only maybe one or two people working, you know, at this. And there are a lot of, you know, game developers and designers who are, are just. You know, one or two man teams, Mm -hmm. and then they're trying to do everything under the sun to to actually fulfill that. And they're right, okay, I was not ready for this. I possibly still have a day job that I'm trying to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Besides then do a second job. And Mm -hmm. so it just becomes very, very overwhelming, I think, for
1: some of those guys. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely daunting. And, and, you know, that's why you see some of these campaigns that, that, that do incredibly well. They've raised millions of dollars, but they don't have the business acumen to match that. Right. And that's where you have a coolest cooler type campaign that, you know, that there's decisions made and there's things that happen that, uh, cause problems, not only delays and in some cases, complete failures where the, yeah. you know, products never shipped and things like that. So, um, it's, you know, it, it's difficult and, I think it's where, uh, you know, Kickstarter has begun to try to put some energy into that. Um, you know, they've made some partnerships recently. I was at CES, uh, early this year and they introduced, uh, some of the new relationships that they're establishing. Um, a lot of it, unfortunately is more on the tech side, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're establishing more of a design slash tech focus of to, to, support creators, uh, in manufacturing. Um, but, uh, the nice thing is the tabletop community already has easily the best community in terms of support. If, if you go out and look for it, you'll find some of the best support in literally in all of Kickstarter, um, in the tabletop community.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we, we've talked about a few of the things that, you know, a few of the failures, but I mean, if you actually look also at some of the successes that have come out of Kickstarter, there are some companies that have started on Kickstarter that have turned into, fairly well-known publishers yeah. and, you know, of board games, you know, lately, I mean, Stonemeyer games, you know, mm-hmm. we'll just mention him, you know, he's Jamie's done some wonderful things on Kickstarter. I mm-hmm. mean, and he started off yeah. small, I mean, and he's, you know, he's just one of many that, right. you know, companies that have basically started off smaller Kickstarter and have basically just used it as a platform to just yeah. grow themselves to where some of them almost don't even need it anymore or are using it anymore.
1: If we took out Kickstarter as an element, I actually don't think the tabletop community in the world that is, is involved would be anywhere to what it is now. Uh, Because, yeah, like you're saying, there's, there's plenty of self-published, you know, originally starting as self-published, self-publishing designers that then went on to create a, you know, a publishing company to then bring in other games. And I think there's actually a huge amount of those individuals that are out there that started out because of the Kickstarter, you know, what what Kickstarter allowed them to do. Um, And so, yeah, it's, I, am a huge, huge fan. Uh, It's part of the reason why with CrowdOx, I mean, we have our origin based with uh, within tabletop world. Like I said, that's kind of where um, we sort of got into this and, And, you know, myself personally, I, I grew up playing magic, the gathering and, uh, you know, playing, uh, all sorts of games Uh, to, to, that was probably the, uh, the most, um, indie or kind of geek into the world that I got as a kid growing up. Other than like when I was real young, I did LARPing before that was a thing, you know, just with my, just with my buddies, you know, but the, um, the, you know, playing magic and then getting into lots of other games. Um, but then it was, you know, I started backing some of these Kickstarter games and getting right. into that um, a little bit a little bit later than some. But, uh, you know, I think it was about 2016, 17. Um, I've got a couple here on my shelf, like back to Secret Hitler and, you okay. know, got a c- couple of these Um some of these I, popular I see, games, I see Seventh
0: Continent back there.
1: Yeah, there's a couple back there, a couple of good ones. Um, and you know, so the that that's been a big part of our focus with Crowdox. We we really aim to serve the uh, the crowdfunding community, but also specifically the tabletop community. Yeah. So, so
0: in looking through some of the things when I was doing some Google searching on you, you actually have a degree in Japanese besides the entrepreneurship piece that yeah. you have. So uh-huh. what, that is a hell of a combination, the Japanese <laughs> entrepreneurship. What, what got you into the Japanese part of that?
1: Yeah, I have a kind of an interesting degree. I did, a, uh, I did a Bachelor of Integrated Studies, which they let me take three different disciplines. And I took uh, Japanese entrepreneurship and child and family studies, actually. Um, and so those are my combination. Yeah. Three very different worlds. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, so my grandmother's Japanese actually, um, oh. she, uh, I mean, I never learned any Japanese growing up. I grew up here in the States, you know, but, um, but she, my grandmother's Japanese, um, and always loved the culture was very in, into a lot of those things and, uh, ended up, uh, going to Japan, uh, for two years as a missionary. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so I lived there for 2 years and and learned the language um and uh you know I think that's fundamental to a lot of things that uh, that I learned and uh but yeah that's that's why I studied it I wanted to continue um developing that because it's you lose it fast when you're not around it you lose it fast. Oh oh yes yes um, yeah, and sure. yeah so um uh, but yeah I did some kind of different things with schooling um the entrepreneurship and the Japanese um sort of brought them together, uh, and ended up developing a child, uh, uh, character development program, um, as a part of that. And, uh, so that was sort of my studies, uh, in the the school setting.
0: Cool. That's awesome. I had just seen that on there and I was like, I, I have to ask (laughs) because I mean, Japanese is something that, you know, I will say anime fan. I would always love to actually yeah. learn to be able to, to actually listen to and understand that without having to read subtitles. Mm-hmm. On a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So that was, that is where my part of wanting to learn Japanese and stuff came sure. from to be able to do that. But that's, that's that's pretty cool.
1: I just I just had to ask that. I yeah, yeah. it's a like completely off the wall question. Oh, for sure. Fun <laughs> f- fun side note. Yeah, I guess I should clarify with that child that the, the character development program I uh, created. Uh, I don't really do it right now. I want to get back into it now that I have my own kids, especially. But the uh, but it was a samurai themed. I should clarify, it was a bushido samurai themed nice. uh, character development program. Okay. So. Yeah, took some of my martial arts training that I did since I was a young kid and brought it into that. So cool. it's a, a lot of fun.
0: All right. So back to CrowdOx.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you'll be
0: able to answer this one or not, but what is the biggest Kickstarter do you think that you guys have actually had to support?
1: So it was actually uh, a tabletop board game uh, that you've actually already mentioned, which is Seventh Continent.
0: Oh, okay. It I, was. I was which, wondering if that was, I didn't yeah. want to say that, but
1: I <laughs> uh, I'm 99% sure that it is. Uh, it was, I mean, it already, I say, I shouldn't say it was, I mean, we're still working with, uh, with Bruno and his team very closely. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, they currently, as of right now, they have their, uh, they just reopened their late pledge, um, so that people who missed the campaign, uh, you know, for those that don't know, they ran their Kickstarter campaign. Um, and raised $7 million, which was pretty intense. They, they had 50, uh, uh, 43,000 backers. Yeah. And, uh, so that was a lot of people to deal with. And, um, we had actually worked with, uh, with them on their previous campaign. Um, the, the original seventh continent game, uh, we had worked with them as well. So we did that one with them, uh, you, you know, a couple of years ago, and then we helped them with this one, which is a reprint and expansion, um, for what goes up, must come down and uh yeah like i said they have uh, it's an ex- kickstarter exclusive um and they w- had the opportunity based on kind of how timelines and everything is laying out they had the opportunity to reopen their late pledge uh page which they're only taking additional backers um in through that process uh, i believe until the end of this month i know it was a one month time frame
0: yeah yeah i think it was i think so, it's until the end of july is what it was yeah. what i saw in some of those updates
1: yep so it, it's uh, you know it's been a fun, exciting uh, campaign to work with because they they really do it very well. Uh, they they run their campaigns very well, and um, you know like like we talked about, it's not difficult to do, and it requires the certain types of of uh, follow up and personality and right. and uh, you know, characteristics to be able to do that well. Yeah. So on
0: a let's say on a weekly or monthly basis, how many hits do you guys think you guys get on CrowdOx? Like how big? How much traffic do you guys get, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis or something? Do you, do you have any idea?
1: Uh, for Crowdbox, we're, we're definitely like, as I mentioned before, we're scaling. We've been growing um, mm-hmm. organically. We we didn't have kind of a unnatural push to get us going over the last month and a, or a year and a half. Uh, really, since I got on board, we've been looking to scale and we've been growing month over month. Um, we, uh, you know, we're working with... Uh, hundreds more creators, um, comparative to where we were before. And, uh, it's been really exciting. And, and, a big part of it, as I mentioned, you know, we've had a big focus on the tabletop community. Um, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of things about our platform, uh, both with the user experience, uh, the, the UI UX, as it's known, right? The right. the user experience and the, the user interface is something to us that's really important. We feel that, uh, the smoother, the cleaner that is the, uh, number one, the easier it is for a backer to process through, to go through quickly. Because again, that that's a frustration a lot of creators have is if they're waiting for people to get in and complete right. their their survey. Um, and so making that really clean and easy for, easy for them to add on, um, that also for the backer makes it so they're more inclined to spend more. Um, and so for the creator, that's great, the, the higher conversion on those add-ons. Um, just kind of some basic numbers. On average, Roughly about twenty five percent of backers will make some sort of an increase to their pledge.
0: Oh wow, um, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, so we've kind of we found this roughly about the twenty five percent of backers will make that increase um, if good options are available. If it's right. just another copy of the game they're probably not going to increase, right? Yeah. Uh, most people don't need to. Um, give, a, give a copy to your friend. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to happen, right? I don't have too many friends that are doing that, let me tell you. Huh? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, where are my friends? I'm not doing <laughs> yeah. that for me. Yeah, um, me neither, trust me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's not common. But if they have some decent little add-ons, and you know, that's something I, I love to talk about and kind of share with creators. That's part of my role, again, is to help the help the creator think of ways to engage their community. Because again, right. there are people that, as we talked about, they start out as a, you know, timid and, and not so sure backer. Uh, they put some money down, um, but they have plenty of time to cancel. You know, they, they have all this uh, ability to uh, have some control there. But once they're they, once they're in, I mean, most of these guys are really in and they're really interested. I mean, that's why you have some of these mini campaigns and some of these projects where, you know, the average, uh, pledge level is, you know, the, the, the the kind of typical pledge level might be like a $75 pledge level, but there's opportunities to, for people to pay more. And some of these projects are having like an average of $150, $200 being spent into the campaign. And that's because they're going after these, these higher end tiers and, and these options where there's lots of add ons available. Um, and I think that speaks to the community. It also speaks to, you know, how well these creators can, um, you know, create sort of a mini world around each of these projects. Cause that's really what, what we're, what we're doing, creating, you got video and you got imagery and all these things. It's why we love games. It's why we love, uh, you know, these types of things because it really integrates you and, and you feel a part of something. So, um, and so anyway, the, uh, th- that's definitely a big, um, interesting component and that's, uh, so I love talking about, you know, what kind of things can be added on. Um, you know, anybody can add on sleeves for cards. It's a nice little thing to add. It's not, uh, it's not expensive to, to produce or, you know, to, to source. And, um, you know, if, if backers are offered something that uh, is like that, they might do it. Uh, but obviously, the more unique those add-ons are, the more likely they will be added on. If it's an expansion, or even if it's just a specialty set of a few cards, people will add them, and uh, if they're given that opportunity.
0: Yeah, and it—I mean, from a backer perspective, like, you know, like we said earlier, it's very easy to just get, for lack of a better term, just sucked into the whole project. You know, mm-hmm. and you get caught up in the excitement, and you're just like, you know, like I said earlier, you know, you think that, you know, I'm just going to go base pledge on this, and then all of a sudden, as you're going through the campaign, you're like. I want everything in the kitchen sink in this damn thing now <laughs> because I'm like super excited about what's going on with this project. Yeah. And you know, you're just like, hey, here you go. Just take, take my money, take my money. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, something I think it's important to point out, cause there's a, there are two, two, maybe even three perspectives that we're talking about here. You have a backer and you do have a creator mm-hmm. um, and you have you have some people that are kind of in the industry, right? So you have these three different perspectives. I would consider, you know, what I'm doing with CrowdOx and, and even what you're doing with you with your podcast and different things that you're working on. There's sort of a, sort of a mix. You know, you're not just a backer. You're not just a creator. Um, but there is an interesting perspective, uh, because for a creator, add-ons could be the, the make it or break it of profit margin. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of uh, backers and even other, some creators don't even understand that fact, but that sometimes on a, on a base game, you know, if it's not massively wildly successful, maybe you have 2000 backers, you're, you're hitting your MOQ, your, your minimum print run. Um, and that's about it, right? You're kind of at the, you're not quite at a point where the, the margin on, the, um, on the units are amazing. And so when they have their base game that they're now going to, to do the run for, they might end up selling it out. I mean, I know that happened recently with the Island of El Dorado, which we worked with. Uh, really, really great game. The quality is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, they sold out that entire print run. Um, that's why they're, they're on Kickstarter again. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they did a reprint and expansion. Um, I'm super excited about that game. That's one that I've always been just kind of a, a geek fan of. Um, but the, no, I've, uh, I've actually been eyeing that one lately. I have been playing it uh, since since I, I did get my copy and uh, it's it's amazing. I absolutely it's it's been a really fun game to play. But the uh, to kind of bring up that point though about add-ons for a creator, it it really sometimes is the lifeblood because when I add on some of these additional items um, on a business side, if we look at it from that perspective, there are typically uh, sometimes a higher margin on these add-ons. Okay. You know, if I'm if I'm going to offer some custom dice, for example. Um, there may be a better margin on those custom dice than there are on right. my base game. Mm-hmm. And so the money that they make, the, the added revenue that a creator receives from that, um, actually might, it, it might make it more possible for them to build their business and be able to make more games. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the reality of, of why that uh, is, it can be so key to a lot of these campaigns.
0: I think, I think a lot, some of the other things is I know some retailers that I know um, we're a little hesitant on Kickstarter at the beginning, and they're even now. I know some of the friendly local <laughs> game stores I go to are definitely saying, you know, when they send out maybe like a newsletter or something, they're saying, "Here's the Kickstarters we're participating in. If you want yeah. one of these, let us know. You can mm-hmm. get their Kickstarter here. You know, you do, you you know, you, if you don't have the money to pledge for it now, yeah, we're pledging for this. You can pay for it when it actually comes out." Right. And we're gonna give you all the Kickstarter goodies that go along with it and everything. And I think that's a really interesting yeah. mix that that has that has changed because at the beginning it seemed like it, it there weren't really too many campaigns offering that type of, you know, integration with the friendly local game stores.
1: I yeah, I agree with you. And and I think part of that comes from the the retailers, there's a lot of, there's, there's a feeling of uh, kind of a threatening feeling that I think yeah. a lot of retailers had, especially early stage where, you know, this new Kickstarter thing's coming in here and, and it does take money out of the retailer's pocket, or at least that, you know, that's definitely part of the perception. Um, and so there was a lot of concern about that, but I, I agree with you. I think that there is slowly becoming more and more of this shift, which I'm a huge fan of. I love oh, the definitely. idea. Yeah. yeah, I love the idea of, uh, in fact, I just did a call earlier today um, with a creator that uh, he's preparing right now to send his surveys. Um, and, you know, he has a number of retailers. I think he had, you know, 14 or so retailers that had pledged on his Kickstarter. Um, they hadn't really defined that order yet. Um, they pledged at like a, you know, a set rate, a set pledge level. And then, you know, through CrowdOx later, they're going to add their, um, you know, their order basically in. Um, and you know, it's a great functionality of the software because it allows a bit more of an appropriate experience for the retailer where the retailer can say, you know, they can kind of have a discussion first and then put in that, that pricing and then the creator can associate however many, you know, base games and expansions that they plan to send. Um, but I agree with you. I think that that's an important part of the, the growth of the, uh, of of what Kickstarter is doing for the community because it allows there to be more synergy between, uh, the retailers. And I, and I know there's a lot of retailers that get frustrated sometimes with the lower pricing and, and it's definitely a, a big discussion. Um, and I, so I think the more that creators can be, you know, work intelligently with the retailers and, and find that middle ground, I think there's a lot of success to be had. So now, have you guys ever thought,
0: from a CrowdOx perspective, from a from a software? I mean, I said I work in IT, so I'm going to throw this out here. This could sound a little crazy, but have you guys ever thought about maybe reaching out to retailers and saying, "Hey, why don't you guys sign up with us, and then you can have your customers sign up through your store, and then they can order the different games through, you know, kind of like like Crowddox, you know, and offering just mm-hmm. possibly a service like that? I mean, yeah. There's 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 several different things I think that. A third-party company like CrowdOx might be able to do and step in and possibly fill a gap that might
1: help retailers, you know, bridge the
0: Kickstarter thing. I
1: see what you're saying. Yeah, I I I agree. No, I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity. We have a huge list. (laughs) We've got a massive (laughs) list of things of like, you know, that would be that would be awesome. That's good
0: good to hear that you guys are thinking about different things. Oh, for sure. What I just said, but you know, thinking about different things and seeing what you know what you could do taking possibly CrowdX to the next level.
1: There, you know. There's a lot of uh, value in our team being small. Uh, I say small, we're, we're a team of about 13, 12, 13 people. Um, that's, so that's it's, small, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little bit of a smaller team, but it allows us to be very, uh, you know, very core focused on, uh, on, on different things. And so when we want to make an adjustment, when we make improvements to the software, when we are kind of reaching out to exploring new categories, new areas, um, we can do so rather effectively, rather quickly. And, uh, so, you know, taking on a new challenge, which we, we're doing all the time. We're implementing, uh, new improvements to the software every week, every month. There's, there's something new. Um, you know, we had talked about, uh, about retailers and, and making mm-hmm. a connection there. The, uh, this is, the, we, we recently introduced a new functionality that allows, a creator to establish relationships with local location, like locations that they could essentially send a crate to, send you know a large volume okay. of product. Yeah. But it actually allows the backers to select from a drop-down list of local uh places that are local locations they could actually go pick it up from awesome. and yeah, and yeah. and not be charged shipping. So it actually allows them to not have to pay uh pay out that shipping cost as a backer. And that can be really key because, um, so to, to let's, let's break down a scenario real quick. If I backed a campaign, it's an $80 pledge and $20 of shipping, right? Right. Maybe I, maybe I live far away. It's a little bit more expensive. Um, in that scenario, maybe I paid that shipping on Kickstarter, or if I paid it Later through CrowdOx. Either way, that twenty dollars is either going to serve, uh, you know, twenty dollars I don't have to pay, or twenty dollars as a credit towards other add-ons or items there.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So as a backer, it's great. It ser- you know it really helps the backer out, and, and uh, you know, so the more a creator can establish those relationships with these retailers, these locations, mm-hmm. um, the retailers can uh, obviously it benefits them in a big way because. Now they have all these people coming into their stores, right. picking up the game. And, and I think there could be more done to improve that process. Uh, but it's a great, you know, it's a great new functionality. Um, I would love to see it. I would love to see more people utilize it, especially for those people that are based in the UK. Um, especially yeah. for conventions like Essen and Gen Con where people come from all over the world. It's a really good opportunity to say, yeah. As a backer, I'm going through the survey. I say, yeah, you know, I want to pick that up at Essen, and they select that as an option. And nice. then when they go and when they uh, go to Essen, they can pick that up and and not have to pay that you know twenty dollars shipping. Yeah. Um, if you're from India and you've flown to Essen and it actually costs sixty dollars to receive that hundred dollar game, then yeah, it, it's a it's definitely a good benefit. <laughs>
0: definitely. Uh, all right. So we talked about a few of things. You had mentioned Magic the Gathering and stuff when you were growing up. Um, So what other board games have you been playing recently, I guess, outside of like Magic the Gathering? I mean, because it sounds like, you know, after Magic the Gathering, you did a few other things, but it doesn't sound like you were super heavy into board games. I know I had taken a break from board games for a few years. You know, I... Grew up video games and board games, and then Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, did video games for a little while. And you know, probably the last I mean, when I started my podcast, it was all video games. Yeah. Um, And probably in the last six months, you know, my wife and I have started doing, I mentioned to you, we started Mm -hmm. doing more playthroughs on Twitch and everything like that. And we're like, let's focus on board games, let's drop video games altogether, and let's just try to become a complete focused, you know, just on one thing and not try to spread ourselves so thin. Gotcha. Um, But what other type of stuff do you know, do you like to play?
1: I play I play a lot of different things. Um, I'm also uh, I play you know video games and board games alike. Um, so my, my recent my probably most commonly played game right now is the island of El Dorado. Um, okay. Just just because I enjoy it so much there's no like connection but I you know when I've gone to uh, when I went to Origins and when I've gone to a, a couple of other events and conventions um, uh, I've just been introducing it to people and playing with them so that's been really fun for me. Uh, in fact, I even two or three times have actually just let them other people play. So that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for the for the new rules, which lets me to play uh, up to, I think, seven or eight uh, players because. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I've, uh, I've sat out quite a few times because they could only play four players. Um, no, but that's a game I've been playing uh, Star Realms I, right now. I don't really play anything except uh, the creators that I work with. And okay. part of that's just because, you know, time, the sake of time, um, we, uh, I, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, advocate for, um, trying to become champions for the people that I work for and work with. And, uh, there's amazing creators that I get to work with. And so, um, you know, white wizard games, they just came out, uh, we worked with them on frontiers, um, for the new uh, Star Realms uh, expansion, and and so we've been playing. I've been playing that quite a bit actually. Um, that's kind of replaced my uh, my deck building uh, need with uh, you know with what I used to do with Magic, which I haven't done that for a long time. But um, been playing other other games. Just uh, been cracking open uh, facade games. Uh, been work playing uh, Salem and uh, Tortuga. Okay. Um, Travis is. Uh, and He's an awesome guy. We just uh, we actually just did another video interview a little while ago. But he, uh, they have some awesome games. I, I like to be able to find games that fit certain scenarios, and uh, and so you know a game that's going to fit, for example, Stardom's is my like quick and easy, fast play, two player kind of thing. Whereas you have, you know, uh, if you're looking for social social deduction, um, you know, facade games. What he's done with those are pretty much all sort of that type of game, a little bit right. part, bigger group games. Um, so those are some that I, that I really enjoy. I, as you said, I have seventh continent waiting here. Um, I just have to find the group, right? It's a three hour plus commission. Yeah. I, you know,
0: it's, you know, I've done a couple of videos on it solo and actually played. So my wife isn't a huge co-op fan just Uh recently has, she kind of, OK, I'll play a co-op game because sure. she's always like she's always like, I want to I want to be able to win. And if uh-huh. I can't win, why am I playing the game? <laughs> well, in a co-op, the party wins. Yeah, I want to be able to win. And, and I'm like, no, you don't want to be able to win. You just want to kick my ass at something like you <laughs> normally do. I go. So let's just be honest here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But, you know, she recently has been doing more co-op stuff. But um, Seven the Continent, she's really not huge into the story stuff. So. Yeah. I can sit down and just, I've done a couple of videos on Twitch already for that by myself. And uh-huh. it just, you start playing that and it's just like a video game because you're just you like, okay, it. a couple hours just went by and you're like, holy crap, oh, I'm dang. like exploring this continent. Yeah. I'm like completely sucked into this world. And I'm like, am I going to die? Am I going to find what I need? <laughs> you know, and everything. It's, it's, it, it when, when we did our um, 200th episode,
1: uh-huh.
0: I had a buddy on the show and Starting around episode 195, we started doing our top 100 games. Um, I had not played some of the continent at the time. Had I, it would have made my top 100 games. Mm. And had I, it would have easily been within my top 10 oh, wow. of all time.
1: That's so awesome. You know,
0: it's, it's just, I love just story games like that. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of just like a video game, like a sandbox, like a Skyrim. Yeah. You know, like a, Grand, I don't want to say Grand Theft Auto because it's definitely not like that, you know, but it's like a sandbox game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in... You it's know, an exploration. You. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's I, just really, really different from a lot of I, other things out there.
1: I've been, uh, yeah, I, I've, I want to play it really bad. So that's, I, that's a great endorsement for the one player. Cause I, I've really seriously thought about it. So for, for one player, I, the only game I ever played as a one player game was like, was other than video games was solitaire, which technically was a video game. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. so I, I did my first, uh, my first solo game was actually, it's also sitting here, um, hostage negotiator okay, um, yep. by Van Ryder games. And he's also, yep. uh, we, we've worked with him on multiple, many of his camp, in fact, maybe all of his campaigns with crowd ox, uh, most of his campaigns anyway. And, uh, and so, that was a new experience for me. I was a little bit hesitant. I didn't know because for me, for me, board games was about, at least I thought it was about the, uh, the social experience, being able to play a game and, you know, you're there with your friends, your family, you're yelling at each other or you're laughing or, you know, whatever's going on. Um, you know, even, even video games back in the day was that for me as a kid, you know, you're playing, uh, you know, you're playing GoldenEye, sitting next to each other on this tiny, yep. tiny screen. And, uh, you know, it's crazy to me, the, the turn that video games have taken because, uh, this is definitely a tangent, but, uh, you know, my uh, sitting there with my little brother playing uh, Fortnite and they're yep. on the 70, 70 inch TV screen and it doesn't even have the capabilities to be a co-op or multiplayer on the same screen. Absolutely. Like, I, it pissed me off because, you know, the the idea that we were sitting on these tiny little screens split four ways playing, yep. you know, GoldenEye. That there was that social element that was just awesome, just fun, you know, and uh, definitely something that's now kind of missing out of a lot of video games. I feel. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm hoping couch co-op makes a return because yeah. that was something when my wife
0: and I first started dating years ago. Mm-hmm. That we'd love to sit around on the weekend, throw in a video game, start <laughs> drinking, get shit faced, and just be playing games all night. And, you know, just killing each other doing yeah. stuff.
1: You know, it's oh yeah. It's, it's a different world. in fact, I, I have memories of playing Harvest Moon one player game with my buddy. We were co oping Harvest Moon back then, <laughs> which is bizarre to think about really but um, anyway, we, we both were working on different girls trying to marry different girls in that game so that it didn't that, it didn't work very good playing that co-op but but anyway, uh, now so with uh, with Van Ryder and with uh, hostage negotiator, I was like okay i'm gonna do this like i said i I committed i want to play the games of these creators that we're working with and it's important to me because i want to uh we went to uh to uh gamma um earlier this year great great experience at gamma um it was
0: in vegas or not in in reno Reno.
1: yeah in reno Reno. Uh, it went really really well that i thought it was well well done uh convention and uh but I walked up to uh, Academy Games' uh, table and they're, they're, uh, Academy Games, Uva and his team, they, they've been working with us with CrowdOx for a couple of, uh, couple of years. I mean, it, multiple campaigns now. And they're, they're,
0: they're actually out in my neck of the woods. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm about 30 minutes west of Cleveland. Oh, okay, cool. And I think they're probably about an hour, maybe 45 minutes to an hour west of me.
1: Yeah. Yep. They're very close there. And, um, they're, they're a great team. Uva is, yeah. is the man and uh, they're fun to work with, but they, um, I felt bad cause I stood there, uh, at one of their tables and Uva was busy talking to somebody else. And one of, you know, a. a just random individuals coming up to look at uh, Vikings that was laid out on a table. And I couldn't say too much about it. I had never played it. I know that we had worked for them uh, on that campaign to, to do their, their pledge management. And so anyway, that I sort of committed at that point that I wanted to be champions for all these campaigns. So, um, so anyway, I sat down to play um, hostage, hostage negotiator. And it was a, it was a blast. I actually really, really enjoyed it. I'm a huge fan of, of any type of game. That's that's story-based. Um, that's part of the reason why I don't play a ton of, uh, like MMO type video games, for example, because I, I love to get into that story element. Um, and so, yeah, hostage negotiator was, was phenomenal experience, even though I lost like four times in a row. Um, <laughs> it, it was not, not super easy, but, uh, I got started getting the hang of the, the strategy and that. Um, and, uh, but anyway, it's, it's fun to learn as well because strategies that these creators take, you know, van writer. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what they were doing with some of their projects and their games, especially this, this particular one, was, I think, brilliant. Uh, especially on the, the terms of, uh, as we've talked about, like add-ons and such. Um, they ran their first Kickstarter for Hostage Negotiator. Uh, it was successful. It did really well. They then uh, came back to the table with, a, with an expansion, as many games do. Um, I just absolutely love what they did, though. They The box is designed for the expansion is designed to actually fit the base game of the original. Oh, and nice. so you can take the original, which is, you know, it's that smaller size um, box, kind of a tiny epic type size box. Right, right. Um, you know, where it's audio here, I don't know how to describe it. Anyway, smaller size, and and they, that was the original game, That actually that box will actually fit right into the expansion. Oh, um, cool. And he's designed it. Yeah, it's actually will fit a future expansion that hasn't even been released. He just told me that the other day, and I don't. Maybe I shouldn't have shared that. But there's another yeah. space of uh, uh, to fit another thing in there. So I love when creators can take you know creative liberty, not just in developing a great game, but also having some foresight, having the ability to uh, you know kind of plan into their creations um, something that you know create uh, as a backer that you know us game gamers will really enjoy.
0: So, yeah, I was talking to the guys at Van Rider and I wanted to get somebody on the podcast from their show mm-hmm. and I'm holding off until I can get my hands on one of their graphic novel adventures. I didn't back the Kickstarter. Okay. And I can kick myself for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I told the guys because they when we went to get a couple of the books on Sunday at Origins, uh-huh. they had already sold out. And uh. I was so bummed. And I was like, well, I go once I get my hand on one, let me play through one. And I go and then I'm going to get a hold of you guys. And I want somebody on the podcast. And they were like, we'll do it. And I was like, OK, cool. So once I once I can get my hand on one of those books, I'm definitely gonna play <laughs> through it and um then get somebody on the show for them. Yeah. Um but speaking of you know, you had mentioned White Wizard games, you know, with Star Realms. Uh-huh. You know, I talked to them at Origins as well. They hooked us up with Hero Realms with a review copy of that. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I have been playing through that the past couple of nights, <laughs> and we love <laughs> deck builders. And I think that's going to be the next um stream that we do probably cool. this weekend.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that's a great game. one.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've been playing See, through that one in
1: did you make it through the campaign yet?
0: We we have not done the campaign. We've basically just been
1: killing each other. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Well,
0: she's been killing me. Uh-huh. I think <laughs> I think like with most games, I think I won the first one, and then once she learned how to play, she continues to win. So it's. I'm
1: kind of used to that. In most of the games, I don't. Yeah, if you I don't, guys I don't
0: fret about that anymore,
1: <laughs> if you guys haven't played the campaign, that's definitely the next step. I think. I think I did it a little wrong. I played the campaign before I played just you oh, know the okay. one-to-one the game, battle, yeah. and uh, I think it would have been better to play you know that do do it in the order that you have because then you kind of understand the mechanics uh, even more clearly. It's it's almost identical to Star Realms, except it's a little bit more complex, a little deeper, and so. Um, a little bit more rules and whatnot, but the, uh, but yeah, um, I had a blast playing the campaign. It brought, it brought a, it brought the complexity level of, you know, a D and D type game, uh, you know, role-playing down to a more sort of a gateway, I guess, for role-playing. Okay. Um, because the campaign, I was able to sit around with my couple of buddies that, these guys are not, you know, board game. I mean, we used to play Magic together, but right. that's the extent of their of their board gaming experience, really. And uh, was able to play the um, Hero Realms uh, campaign with them, and uh, it was a it was a blast. Uh, we we died against the the big bad boss. The, <laughs> we made it through pretty well, and then we got to the uh, the end boss, and yeah. It, got smeared across the pavement but um but no that was a blast there's an absolute you know riot and and we we have intentions to go back and back oh, to cool. that dungeon and just defeat that one again but no and and they have they have uh plans as well um i spoke to to rob and those guys they have some plans to release some new uh to new content for that game as well so yeah
0: that'll, that'll, that'll be, be really,
1: really exciting, exciting. I had a feeling that
0: my wife and I would like it because Cthulhu Realms, I mean, even mm-hmm. though that was put out by TMG, it was by some of the same designers of star realms yeah. and all that stuff. Um, uh, but that was one of our favorite deck builders. Um, okay. I like, I like Cthulhu. So that was a nice one for me, but I had a feeling we would probably get a big, you know, get a big kick out of hero because yeah. we're both fantasy fans. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? We can sit down and play Diablo three, do dungeon crawls together and yeah. all that stuff together. We, that's, you know, that, that's our bread and butter. So I figured, gotcha. I go, I have a feeling we're going to like Hero Realm. So when they gave us the review copy, I told her, I go, this is this. You're going to learn this very quickly. And she did. And yeah. you know, we've been actually playing it the past couple of nights preparing, um, you know, to get ready to do a video for that one. So awesome. I'm excited to do that. Yeah,
1: that's a fun one for sure. Hey, I'm glad so, you brought that uh, one up.
0: Yeah. What other conventions are you hitting this year? You were at Origins, and I don't think we got to get to – we got we to did actually, not. You know, I, I ran into – um you know, several different people there and everything. But I was I was, I think, literally doing interviews on the top of every hour um, You're Stuck in the press room. <laughs> it was, I, I was I was yeah. I was literally in the in and out of the press room. There were a few where we did, um, you know, video shoots right around somebody's booth, you know, like with um, um, Stronghold Games, you know, about okay. yep. it, was like, you know, huh. he goes, let's just shoot here. And so, you know, my <laughs> wife grabbed the camera and she was following me and him around his booth as he's going crazy.
1: That's um, funny
0: great interview. He's a funny guy. He's awesome. Um, you know, and like I said, you know, my wife got thrown behind the camera and she was like, didn't know she was going to be doing that. I mean, she, she was a trooper doing that for me. I mean, I, I couldn't have done a lot of that stuff without her. So I was definitely cannot thank her enough for everything she had done with, with the help at origins. And, um, you know, we just had a great time doing that, but I didn't, I didn't even get to see you at origins
1: yeah so it was but
0: what a, what, other, what other conventions are you going to this year
1: it was a good event yeah so this year uh, we definitely have intention um to we'll, uh, at uh, gen con um sort of our entire uh, convention presence uh was it's all last minute planned right now because we we <laughs> we, we origins was our uh, our gamma was our first one uh okay. first first convention we'd ever attended as at least had representation for our company. Um, and, uh, so we, you know, we, we went to gamma and, uh, and then origins later. Um, we've done a few others that are local, uh, Utah in Utah here where I'm based, um, uh, cause CrowdOx, we're, we're based all over. We have team members all over the country. Hmm. In fact, we're now technically international. We have somebody, uh, in, nice. yeah, overseas and, uh, she's one of our customer service. So it kind of works out, you know, to have some like late night service, customer support. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we, uh, salt Con is based here in Utah, which okay. is sort of a growing one. It's done there. They just opened their second. So, uh, or should, what should I say their first fall, um, they've, they've just done spring events. And so now they just opened their first second to ye- second in one year, okay. uh, event. Cool. Um, so I'll be going to that a little bit later this year, or I guess that's in August, I believe. And then, um, and then we're wanting to make for sure um, – I was going to say Unpub. I do want to go to Unpub quite a bit. PAX Unplugged? Uh, PAX Unplugged, yes. PAX Unplugged is uh, the other main one that we're focused on.
0: That's the one I want to go to as well, and I'm trying to convince my wife. Last year it was right around the time of my birthday, so it was a little easier to say, hey, that would be a great birthday gift. But now they push it out <laughs> a couple of weeks because my birthday is in the middle of November. So nothing oh, pushed gotcha. out until like the beginning of December. It's like – yeah. So because we, yeah. we, we actually went to PAX East a couple of years ago and we drove okay. out to Boston,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And a couple of years ago, PAX East, it, mostly video games, but there there yeah. was a there was a small board game presence. They had a board game area. There were some publishers, designers there and stuff like that. But it was a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, And I've heard so many good things about PAX Unplugged that I'm like, damn, I would love to go there and just cover that show from a for the website
1: and everything. Yeah, I've yeah, heard it's really growing and, and, uh, there's been a lot of uh, exciting growth for, for that particular event. So it's a big reason why we wanted to be a part yeah. of it. Um, you know, we want to go to, uh, to unpub and, you know, any of the unpubs we can make just because of course we're working with a lot of the self publishers. Right. They do a Kickstarter and, and, uh, so we, you know, I, I absolutely love being a part of that. We recently, um, so Tim Fowers is, uh, uh, which, which you may know, he did uh, Fugitive and Bugle um, Bros and a couple of these other mm-hmm. uh, great uh, games. He um, he's he's here in Utah as well. Um, he's kind of one of those local buddies here, but, uh, but he's been a long time Crowdox user. In fact, he was one of our first, um, really oh, wow. way back in the day. Yeah, and um, he uh, he recently did an event called uh, the Tabletop Network. Um, it was uh, it was a retreat. He actually ran a Kickstarter campaign for it, uh, so you can find that on Kickstarter. And
0: I remember that one now that you yeah. said that. I yeah, the that. Yeah, tabletop that interesting. network. Interesting.
1: Yeah, it it was uh, an amazing event. Uh, it was held up in Snowbird here in Utah, so mm-hmm. it's the top of the mountains. Which I know we had a little bit of uh, elevation sickness issues. Some people coming from <laughs> you know eight hundred, I guess eight thousand feet above sea level is a little high. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but the event was awesome and, uh, it was pretty secluded because up in the mountains. And so it really was a retreat. We had about 250, uh, attendants, attendees. That's a a big number. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, almost all were, were, uh, tabletop, uh, designers, most of them aspiring designers. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, amazing speakers. Um, you know, we, we had some amazing people come and attend that, but, uh, um, but anyway, the, uh, all of this has sort of i guess co- you know kind of compounded where uh i have been peer pressured i guess it's not the right word but i have been <laughs> put in a position where i'm you know i'm pretty dead set on on uh creating my own game designing my own game and so that's nice. kind of a fun little side note my uh, my wife and i have been working on a, a little a little game uh ourselves so cool anyway yeah it's can been you a lot can of
0: fun. you can you tell us anything about it i mean is there uh, maybe don't, we don't have to say too, too much. It may be a genre or a form of mechanic that is maybe within the game.
1: So we're, we're, we're looking to make a game. My wife is a chemist or she, she was a chemistry teacher. Okay. And uh, some of the conversation came because we work with, uh, with genius games. Um, and uh, we did subatomic with their, they're one of their most recent games uh, that they did on Kickstarter. And, sounds like I'm just trying to name drop as part of the conversation. <laughs> the, uh, but in talking with him, um, we realized, I realized that my wife, you know, being a, you know, a chemist and, and she knows that stuff, which I've never even taken a chemistry class. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, uh, I'm like, wow, she's got, you know, these capabilities and he has kind of a need for, for games. I thought, hey, it'd be cool to design something just for, for them and, and, uh, see if I could, you know, work with them and, and, you know, nothing, it's very likely that nothing will happen in that regard. But what we're designing right now is a, uh, it's a pH game. So talking about like pH levels, you know, and, uh, it's sort of a, I would say mechanic wise, it's a lighter game for sure. Uh, it's, it's, we're designing it to be a very light, uh, you know, faster paced game, um, that, uh, would be, could actually teach you, about acids and bases okay. um which again i'm actually learning th- while i'm I would, I was designing just,
0: i was just going to say you're <laughs> learning this as well that's right
1: that's and that's kind of the intention of the game is that it should teach you those principles <laughs> while you're awesome. actually just playing something fun and uh yeah so it, it should be fun we're, we're kind of we're gonna see where it goes but uh but yeah you know i'm trying to bring some of my uh, experience in, into that and and She's bringing her experience into that. So we'll see what happens.
0: Well, but, maybe you guys can get that on Kickstarter, have a successful Kickstarter, then use CrowdOx.
1: Yeah. Uh, you so know, that that's everything. a good idea. That's there good you idea. go. There, there's your plan. <laughs> I like we it. Got a, we got a business plan already. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking notes as we go. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you care to share with everybody? Uh, if people, if there's any designers, publisher, anybody out there listening, and they're interested in crowdox who should they be contacting? Where can they go? What can they do to find out more as far as the services you offer and what you can actually do for them?
1: The the easiest way to connect with us, uh, we, as I mentioned, we are making a really conceded effort you know, within this community. We want to be uh, the premier option and not just in terms of the use of the software and the user experience, um, which has been a big focus. We take feedback from backers and creators alike to make sure that the the platform is really strong and efficient. Um, but also we, uh, we have a lot of desire to, um, to make sure that we represent this community really well. And so, um, so anyway, the, we'd be happy to connect with anyone. The easiest way that they can reach out is, uh, through our website. They can reach out, um, also reach out at sales at crowdox that'll get you in, that'll get them in touch with our team. Um, they can reach out to myself, to, you know, personally as well. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook in the forums. Um, I you know I just get a kick out of it and have a really f- good time with with uh, helping creators. And so if, if any you know if creators want to connect with us, um, I'm always encouraging creators to uh, or people who are looking to do campaigns to reach out and connect early. Um, I run into probably. I don't like putting a percentage on it, but most of the creators I talk to make some you – they're first-time creators especially. They make some very uh, simple mistakes that I think most creators do, which usually has to do with shipping or usually has to do with the layout of the campaign. Even experienced and veteran creators will create a campaign and then later find out that the software will struggle to – you know, do exactly what they were thinking. And so it's much better to make those plans beforehand. You can also plan your margins and and kind of everything there um, to to fit the, uh, you know, what products can do to serve that creator. And um, so early is good to communicate. We can at least have conversations. Um, I, as I mentioned, I'm happy to even provide, you know, advice through the process. Just, it's just part of what I get to do. So.
0: Excellent. Well, Chandler, thank you very much for being on the show this week. Um, We will be back next week with another episode. I think I have another actual interview next week. Um, I think I'm actually interviewing Mark from the Grand Gamers Guild, um, who I met at Origin. So looking forward to that one. But i definitely like to thank you for being on the show. It was great that we finally got to hook up. It was excellent talking to you. I think we had a great conversation here. Can't thank you enough for being on the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much. And uh, we're excited to uh, continue following this uh, podcast. All
0: right. Excellent. Thank you. All right, everybody stay tuned for more stuff on the show. We'll be back later. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey gamers there. You have our interview with Chandler from Crowdox. If you are running a Kickstarter or any sort of crowdfunding campaign, definitely check out their website at crowdox.com. I know a lot of the Kickstarters that I have backed um, have utilized Crowdox. And I think it has always been a nice seamless and, great experience from an end user perspective so definitely check them out if you are a designer or publisher who is going to be doing some crowdfunding but other than that uh, we did talk about some games this week and you know what to do go play some games and let me know what you're playing now until next week everybody send me some emails let me know what you're playing now you can send those emails to what i'm playing now at gmail.com you can also join us in some conversations over on board game geek we do have a guild over there guild 2440 On Twitter and Instagram, follow us over there at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for what I'm playing now. You will find us there. On Twitch, you can subscribe to us on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv, slash what I'm playing now, as well as our YouTube channel, youtube.com, slash what I'm playing now. But until next week, everybody, hopefully you have a great week gaming. We'll be back next week with another interview. But until then, everybody, go have some fun gaming, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.